Those are some powerful bells. But the beauty of bells for the Christian is that they signify so much to us. In fact, there's a whole rite where we bless the bells with holy oil. They're chrismated like a person because they announce the gospel. In the way that they ring, they say to people, God is here. And a person might not be able to um, understand what they are proclaiming. But even just their beauty proclaims something about God and draws them closer. It is something that is a way that the church for centuries upon centuries has called back her children to be able to say, come, come here to encounter Christ for whom your heart longs. So you might have a mixed relationship with the bells here. You might love them because of their beauty and their power, but when they ring at a certain hour on a day that you were trying to sleep in, you might not be the biggest fan. That said, be reminded in that moment, they are proclaiming to me the fact that God is here. And because God is here, that changes everything. I couldn't have staged this better, that on your first day, the reading is about Elisha, a prophet sent out by God to do God's will, to bring his word to a people who were starving to hear it. And it's the day that we read that since he visits us often, let us arrange a little room on the roof and furnish it for him with a bed, table, chair, and lamp so that when he comes to us, he can stay here. Friends, we just gave you a little room on the roof, the third level. We gave you a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, and we did you one better. We also gave you a fan. So you have more than the prophet Elisha, so I expect out of you even greater miracles than what Elisha <laughs> But there's a beauty to this little vignette. And in fact, so many of the um, uh, scenes that we have of the prophets show this beautiful spiritual truth of mutual gift. That if God has given you something, it is for the sake of blessing someone with it. And, and so... This, um, this woman and her husband, they have the space, and so they give of their resources to this man of God. But instead of just saying, like, yeah, I deserve this. I'm a, I'm a man of God. Of course you should give me a table and a lamp and all that stuff. He says, how can I now bless you? And they gave from what they had to him, and he in turn gave from what he had for them. And that's what I hope can guide our common life here. You may think, oh man, I have this great gift and these other guys don't have it. I'm pretty awesome. That's fine. Let's take it to step two of saying, I have this gift. This guy really struggles with this. I can help him. Or it might go the other way. The first week, first month, first year, is often a time where we play the game of comparison. We say like, oh man, that guy's got it put together, I don't. And it's so funny because especially in a mixed group like this one, the older guys will say, man, I wish that I could, 
could have been here like right from day one, like, like this young guy, like he's got it all together. The young guy might be looking at the older guy saying, I wish I had the life experience that he had. And, and there's this mutual insecurity sometimes, but what the Lord wants is that it's a mutual gift. That, that we're able to realize whatever gifts God's given me, it, it's for my brothers. And we can have this, this beautiful interplay of God working not only for us and in us, but through us for each other. And then we get to achieve what is really the point of the Christian life, but in a special way the point of our life here together, which is newness of life. In that beautiful letter of St. Paul to the Romans, which really is his masterwork, it was his, his final work that he had before he suffered martyrdom. And it represents the kind of pinnacle of his ability to present what the Lord was giving him. It's the summary of all of his thought that the Holy Spirit inspires in this one beautiful letter. And in it, he gets to the very heart of everything, where he says, We were indeed buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. I was speaking with one of you um, earlier, and he mentioned that when he got to a certain age, he had to ask himself, is this all true or not? with the faith that he was raised in, because if it's true, it changes everything. If it's true, uh, and I hope he's fine with me plagiarizing from him, but he said, the only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. It's either not important at all, or it is all important. I think that's what he said. But um, there is such truth to that, that if we have been convinced of the importance of the gospel for us, Now's the time that all of you are taking that courageous and bold step to say, I want it to change me. I I want to live in a newness of life. I'm grateful for everything that the Lord has given me up to this point. And I recognize I will always be me. But I want to be me more truly here. I, I want to be able to live in this freedom of being raised up in Christ, of being able to look at my life, look at my habits, Look at my wounds, look at my insecurities, but also look at my hopes and dreams and plans and all of it. And be able to sift through it with Jesus and say, what is of you and what is not? What is truly me and what is this fake me that I've kind of picked up over the years? That newness of life gives us the interpretive key as well for the gospel. This is one of those that on first reading you're like, this doesn't sound like the Jesus that I saw on the holy pictures, right? This doesn't seem like the Jesus that says, love your enemies. It's like, okay, so you're telling me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me, but right now you're saying whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me? And we're kind of scared of that hierarchy because we, I think, sometimes treat love like an on-off switch. I either love someone or I don't instead of seeing that there are different kinds of love and that your priorities are everything. What he's saying here is not don't love your mom and dad. They're not saying 
um, don't love the people in your life that have brought you to this point. What he's saying is your love for the Lord must be so strong and so absolutely primary that everything else is on a different level. And that by comparison, it could be like hatred. In the sense of my love is so strong there that any other love pales in comparison. But what's beautiful is that when you make first things first, when you're able to keep primary the love of God, in Him, you can love every single person that He loves. And so that means you learn to love your enemies, which is naturally humanly impossible. And you can... Learn to love father and mother, sister and brother, rightly. In a purified way that actually ends up having you loving them more than you would otherwise, not less. And so the final thing that we're called to here, and how beautiful that on the first day that we gather, we have these words is we're here to give our life to the Lord for these days. To be able to say, Lord, what direction do you want this life to take? I'm prepared for anything. If I'm thinking absolutely priesthood, I'm willing to be open to you saying, no, maybe not priesthood. If I'm coming here and I'm saying, oh, I hope it's not priesthood, I at least have a, a place in my heart that says, but you know what, Lord, if you're calling me to it, I trust that nothing's going to be better for me than that. But to come here with an open enough heart to be able to say, Lord, this life, it's yours completely. I am willing to take up my cross here and follow you. And there are going to be crosses, right? You're looking at one of your crosses, right? Because there are going to be days that um, uh, we're going to be just loving each other's company. And there are going to be days that I might have to correct you on something. You're going to say, Father Michael, he doesn't understand. That guy's... That's fine. Every seminarian in the history of time has complained about one of their formators. But you're also sitting next to your crosses. Right? These are going to be some of potentially your greatest friends that you've ever had. They might also be some of your biggest sources of annoyance that you've ever had. And God's going to work through all of it. You might say, like, oh, I signed up for, like, being at a place where everybody is super studious and super pious, but also, uh, like, has this great balance of life, and I went to a place where there are only saints. I'm sorry, you would not have been admitted to that place. (laughs) Nor would I. You come to a place of imperfect people being perfected by the love of God. And sometimes his perfecting of us happens through the annoyances. It's like a rock tumbler, that the rough edges are smoothed out by the imperfections of others. And so we thank God for all of it because we don't choose and custom design our crosses. It wouldn't be a cross then. Sometimes we want to. We're like, no, 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 I'm going to do penances like the saints did. I'm going to wear a hair shirt and I'm going to like stay up at all hours of the night and I'm going to do these crazy fasts. And God might be saying, no, your penance is that uh, formation's going to ask you to do this thing and you won't see the point of it. And it's going to be really mundane, not spectacular. But all of heaven's going to be like, yeah, he did it. You're going to think like, oh, I wish I could do something saintly and holy. Living by an orarium is saintly and holy. It's difficult too. But it's one of the ways that we can beautifully give our life to the Lord. 
how we can learn to be the priests, the prophets, the kings that he calls for. That we can learn to bless people with our gifts by taking up that cross and saying like, Lord, you, the giver of all gifts, you're the one that I need to be close to so that you can show me how to love people properly, how to keep my priorities straight, how to live the newness of life that allows me to be a gift to people. Friends, he's called you to it, and I'm so excited to journey with you through it. Because this God who worked powerfully in Elisha, who wrote beautifully through Paul, this God incarnate in Christ Jesus, is the one who's forming all of us here. It's the one that's with us at this altar. And we can trust in him. Because he has not called you here for no purpose. He's called you here to make of you a saint.